Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, your dearest and most loyal friend in this wicked, blasted, fallen world, leading you through the oftentimes rewarding and occasionally scary world of writing. Whether you be a writer or a reader or just someone who is interested in the process of how stories get made, this is the podcast for you. Sometimes it's me looking at the first page that a listener has sent in. Sometimes it's me chatting in a general sense about some particular aspect of the writing process. Sometimes I'm going off on one about something that has got my goat and occasionally and increasingly so in the last few episodes I have been speaking to other authors and I've been asking them about their process, I've been asking them about what they love and hate about writing and getting them to talk about the reason we're all here which is stories, stories that they love, stories that have changed their perspective on the world, all those kind of things. And today's episode is going to be, it's going to be a writing ramble, as I've started to call these. It just means an episode where I haven't written a a script or particularly planned in any great detail what I'm going to talk about, but it allows me to turn up and just kind of check in with you and say hello, because it's nice hanging out with you guys. I know that sounds weird because I am just in my office alone talking into a microphone, but at the same time, this feels increasingly, increasingly normal to me. And a great way of communicating with you. And actually, so many of you have written to me that I do kind of feel like we're in a dialogue. It's just a really weirdly elaborate and inefficient form of dialogue where I record entire chunks of thoughts into a a microphone and then you will listen to them and then you write me a text-based response and we just kind of carry on like that it's been lovely hearing from those of you who've been doing my couch to 80k writing boot camp that course is my eight week free course that takes you from wherever you are in your writing practice all the way through to being ready hopefully to write a novel so there's six episodes per week of that and eight weeks and each one's got a 10 minute uh each one's got a 10 minute little exercise that you can do as some of you will listening now right now will be more than aware because you will have done it because there's actually couch to 80k writing alumni now which is incredibly exciting to me and I'm not just going to gush this episode I've got some specific stuff I want to talk about I want to talk about I want to just like go through some of the stuff we've learned from the um, guests I've had on recently because it's been I've been thinking about it a lot been processing a lot of what they said I don't know when people talk about processing advice from other people they basically they often mean uh, perverting it to the extent that it is no longer the original advice so it's fits in with one's own existing paradigms thus completely missing the point of seeking other perspectives in the first place no I haven't done that I genuinely my mind is starting to change on a few things I want to just like do like a little not a recap it's this isn't like a clips episode um I'm just going to talk a bit about what I, I feel like I got from some of those episodes I've lined up a bunch more people to come and speak on the podcast and I'll get onto that in a sec. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is something that I read online yesterday um, and I responded to it a little bit on Twitter but I wanted to go into slightly more detail about writing and motivation and not giving up and this idea of success and failure in writing and in your writing career which is not the same thing as writing and I just want to talk about where I am with my own writing and where I am in general because I feel like from what a lot of you have said it's quite useful to hear from writers about where they are and uh, the actual reality of writing which is different for lots of different people so there's no one reality which is why I got people on in the first place because I can only give you the view of this from Tim Clare's perspective it's weird isn't it to think that I, because I know you're, you're not the same person as me, right? But this is, I mean, maybe this is the reason why I'm so interested in writing, but how weird that, can you imagine having, that your only perspective on the whole of human history and the whole of humanity and the universe, you have to view it through being Tim Clare. Isn't that nuts? 
<laughs> and we're all in that position trying to make sense from this massive universe and world and human culture and the diversity of languages and all these different life experiences and we have to do it from this really it's like an entire film shot from the perspective of a jack russell or something and but it's about the napoleonic wars right it's like it's crazy don't write into me pointing out that jack russell's didn't exist as a breed during the napoleonic wars that is possibly true i know that some dog breeds you know are surprisingly new but i'm not going to go down a uh, dog breed wormhole if you'll excuse the mixed metaphor my point being that it's just it's this is what writing allows us to do it allows us to share perspectives it allows us to imagine perspectives that cannot by definition possibly exist according to our current understanding of the universe it allows us to find fresh perspectives in ourselves you know i was really glad to have uh, Jeanette Ingham on because she gave me an easy segue into briefly talking about Dungeons and Dragons, which I haven't done very much on the show because I'm really aware of how dull some topics can be for people who are not into them. Or more, actually, no, that's not true. That's not fair on any of you. It's more that when someone's super enthusiastic about a topic, they can sometimes go a bit inside baseball, use terminology that maybe the uh, casual listener isn't conversant with and you know and you can just end up hearing somebody talk about something in a bunch of jargon that you've got no way of parsing whatsoever so you feel excluded that's what's boring about it actually hearing somebody talk enthusiastically about the thing they love if they can find a way to let an audience into that then it's really exciting right I love hearing people talk about stuff that they're passionate about if they can do it in such a way that I basically understand where they're coming from and understand some aspect of the human side of it right you know I'm not a big sports fan I feel sort of like slightly my face feels a bit hot and I feel slightly anxious when I'm talking about sports or using any kind of sporting metaphor because it's never really been my wheelhouse but you know I can I think I can really understand how you know, following football or rugby or cricket, how that can have like a big impact on your life and how there's a whole culture that comes with that and how there are narratives to it and how you've got a whole personal history with the sport and how, you know, those things create relatable human reactions of love and nostalgia and warmth and safety sometimes or excitement or passion or striving or meaning. All of those things can arise out of something that I don't really you know have any relationship to so hopefully you know when i talk about something like dungeons and dragons which is a relatively new pastime for me um i can find ways of talking about it in ways that are relatable to you that are useful to you if you're a writer you know the, the, there's something about talking about one's own experience that you can then take away and it sparks off something in you and also it, you know that is just not dull i think jeanette let's start with talking that's the most recent uh interview i did i had a chat to jeanette ing who wrote under the pendulum sun and she talked really really interestingly and with a great uh, wit and uh verve about world building and we've got into a, the reason we talked about dungeons and dragons because she was talking about monsters and fantasy races and species and and the kind of awkward intersections of when something can just be picking up a real world kind of racist canard and amplifying it down the generations so she was talking i mean she was talking about the the drow in dungeons and dragons who are a a race of they're called literally dark elves and they're portrayed in dungeons and dragons world as um as having pitch black skin uh but also this idea of elves being a kind of form of ancestral kind of like orientalism which i think might be true in the dungeons and dragons elves i think possibly in tolkien's elves they also you know with all their kind of like elven kind of like being drawing on welsh quite heavily they also harken back to some idealized aryan race as well which is like racist but in a in a different in a different way so that's good isn't it now but we talked about those things and particularly how 
you know, what can you strip away from a monster or what can you change from a classic monster, a trope that we understand, like the zombie, the vampire? What can you change and it still be recognisably a zombie or a vampire or whatever, you know, a ghost? And when you make those changes, what happens and what kind of stories are suggested? And I loved the chat we had about uh, talking about how zombies are you know, traditionally kind of low status and sometimes one analysis of them has been that they represent a fear of the hordes of the working classes rising up and that uh, vampires, on the other hand, represent a kind of fear. They're a kind of monstrous version of uh, the elite of nobility, of rich people who prey upon those lower than them. They're a kind of dark aristocracy. I thought it was really, really, really interesting and fun. And, you know, we discussed whether it's possible to have a low status vampire. Could you have a vamp, you know, can you have vampires who are kind of like down on their luck? Who are, and, and, and of course the answer is yes, you, you can. That, that high status is not a, is lots of authors have done that. And the high status is not the only aspect of a vampire that, um, they, they're still recognisably vampires, even without that kind of imperious high status, because we were talking about uh, Jiang Xu, the Chinese vampires, and I really enjoyed chatting about that. And thinking also, could you have a high status zombie? Now, since that conversation, I think my answer is that that's a mummy, right? Like in, in popular culture, a, a mummy is basically a high status zombie, right? It's just like a zombie wrapped up in bandages, it's just really like it's like a, a, a mummy is like a rich zombie without the kind of ability to propagate itself but it's i think that kind of thing for me as a genre writer and even if you're not as a genre writer i think the idea of taking something familiar and switching bits out to see what happens Jeanette talked about taking the gothic heroine and placing her in a fantasy setting and and is that still is that still recognizably gothic fiction if the if the if the kind of festering suggested slightly feverish horrors that lurk behind the doors of this you know uh sinister rich governess's ancient house with many many forbidden rooms or whatever iteration of the gothic you have if the horrors behind them turn out to be yeah the yeah it's monsters when whereas normally you expect there to be some kind of tease of the of, of of the supernatural that then turns out to be very much grounded in the real, is it still recognisably a gothic novel? Because uh, it's definitely different. But what happens now? Even if you're not, if even if you're not writing genre as an author, you can still look at those shapes, those tropes, uh, and and think, well, what happens if I change one aspect? of this familiar story you know if you are writing a romance novel and this actually gets me on really well to vc lancaster he's, he's like writing romance but with where one of the characters is an is an extraterrestrial is an alien and has recognizably alien features you know I, i'm saying features I'm, obviously i'm dancing around the fact that some of those features may be you know elements of what they look like in the nut and i re i realize now i said hey you don't have to be writing genre you could make one of your characters an alien i know that's still genre but you, you get the point that it's like is this still an office romance novel where one of the characters happens to be an alien is it still recognizable as an office romance and what is different about that and what is still the same i think it's a fascinating process to kind of pass a story a familiar plot structure through different filters and see what you still have on the other side and what is changed it's a kind of process of translation right like um the uh, poet and good friend of mine ross sutherland did a poetry project where he used uh, Google Translate to take poems and translate them into another language just by dumping the text into the translator and then and then translating it back into English and then translating it back again and then translating it back into English and so it drifted further and further from the original text and he would create entirely new surreal often fascinating 
poems where the where the trans the machine translation was his kind of co-writer and that kind of tr putting something through these filters and taking a familiar structure and basically like running a tank over it and seeing what parts crack and what parts survive can be such a useful and inspiring process as a writer. Jeanette uh, talked about how she had this idea of uh, a missionary goes to fairyland, goes to Arcadia for years before she actually got the the guts of the story, which was having uh, this specific protagonist who was going to be heading to fairyland and the shape of the gothic novel and so you may have a setting for your world or a, a premise or a mood or a, a theme you go I, I really want to write about this period in history or I really want to write about this area or I feel like I really want to touch on this theme or subject but it may be that you sort of you do a lot of notes but it's really hard to get down to the to the brass tacks of actually creating a story and finding a character who cuts through that world who we want to follow and having that sense of and you'll know it when you've got it that sense of momentum that sense of story that sense of what happens next that push-pull dynamic that makes the reader simultaneously want to read on because there's stuff they don't know there's uncertains while feeling that they're being rewarded as they do it's a it's a really it's a really deft and tricky balance that and in literary fiction and in commercial fiction i think there's a distinction between how you do that and what speed a reader is expected to be reading at in fact um so that was a really that's a really useful process that you can think about doing you know how can you sit down and take whatever story you've got and is there is there a shape that you can put onto it is there a classic story you know like a stranger comes to town you know can, can you in fact frig can you just wait there a second i'm not going to be gone very long i mean i could edit this but i'm probably not going to because right i've got i can just see out the corner of my eye a, a pack of cards um up on my shelf in my board game collection and i've been meaning to review these for frigging ages um about two years ago i mean i, I you know i plead uh, parenthood here but about two years ago i wrote i sent i dropped an email to um john august at the uh who does the uh script notes podcast brilliant writing podcast with a sort of emphasis on it's for screenwriters but I think if you're writing prose fiction you can learn so much about structure and and they put out a pack of cards uh called the writer emergency pack uh which is essentially a, a it's almost like tarot for writers but it's a um it's a way of unsticking yourself if you're stuck as an author so i've just got the cards here and i'm giving them a good old shuffle i'm not gonna my time playing there makes me makes me want to uh pile shuffle them in fact it makes me want to put plastic sleeves on them so they to prevent dog earring but i don't think they're going to see that much uh that much tournament play so basically i've got this deck of cards and the idea is when you are in a pickle when you're stuck when you're feeling low about your writing then you can take up this deck of cards pass a little bit of a uh, mag make a few magical passes over the top and then draw a card it says here on the little uh, on the little card that has the rules here emergency procedures focus on the moment of in the in your story that's causing you grief draw an illustrated idea card at random no cheating so it's got to be truly random read it then read the matching detail card the card you choose may not seem to apply to your situation don't panic let the artwork title and suggestions trigger new ideas most of these ideas will be terrible that's okay the goal of this pack is to get you asking what if wrong turns are useful if they get you headed towards somewhere interesting absolutely true Okay, so shall we do this? And you might like to think now. I'm not gonna. I'll I'll I'll, I'll do an example. Um, I don't feel particularly stuck with my story at the moment, um, but maybe I could think about the one 
that I was working on before I before I switched over. That's a good idea. And if you're struggling with your writing at the moment, maybe you could just focus now on a point in your story that's causing you grief. And um, through the magic of podcasting, uh, you will affect the uh, the hands of fate, sending sending your mind back in time, and you will draw via me as your agent exactly the card to help you with your problem. Okay, you ready? Going to cut the deck, and the top card is. 24. That's not the dragon. You thought that was the enemy? Nope. The real danger lies ahead. This is card 24. There's a picture of a uh, dragon glove puppet coming out of a cave as two warriors face it. And lurking behind a mountain is a gigantic and furtive looking genuine dragon. So here's the uh, associated card, which was right at the top, actually. <laughs> Funnily enough, what a coincidence. That's not the dragon. Here's some suggestions of, uh, of ways you can use this. Bait the trap. List three things that could be used to lure your hero to danger. Two. Picture the puppet master who could be pulling the strings. What would they gain by remaining hidden? How could your hero discover them? Three. Heroes can have puppets too. Brainstorm deceptions your hero could use to confuse or delay the enemy. Now, isn't that brilliant? What a great little way of thinking about your world. So, that's not the dragon. So, this is the writer emergency pack. Uh, I think they're still available. It's absolutely beautiful and there's a set of cards there and just whenever you're feeling stuck it can just get you back to that place that useful place of of just engaging the part of your brain that comes up with solutions even if they're crap solutions I don't think I don't think you can actually create if you're not prepared to fail if you're not prepared to be wrong and I think I think that deck of cards is so useful for and they're all cool ideas about like plot twists and ways out of situations and archetypes that you can apply to your story and then and miniature ones rather than entire story arcs they're story moments uh and, and i really recommend it uh i'll put a link in the show notes for today's thing if i can find them online but um thanks very much to to john august for sending that to me I finally got to talk to you guys about it. Sorry, I had a baby. But they're great and they're really useful um, as ways of sparking ideas for stories, as ways of like getting one out and using them as a, a, a writing prompt for your writing group or just you on your own, or for unsticking you when you feel in that horrible, like chest tightening thing of like, this story is going south. I don't think it's going to work. What the hell am I going to do? And, and, you know, we talked when I talked to Joe Dunthorne uh, a couple of months ago now, he talked about that thing of getting bogged down in a story. It took him six years to write his latest book, which has gone on to, you know, be very successful. People are, you know, very well reviewed. People have really enjoyed it, found it very funny. Um, but he had all these points where he felt stuck, where he felt like he wasn't enjoying it anymore and where he felt it had to be, as he said himself, he felt like he had he was trying to deliberately write a very good book who i mean who sets out to write a shit book it seems silly but but isn't but as soon as you start worrying about sort of being wrong and you then you get into damage limitation mode over wild excited creative mode and a wild excited creative mode i should say is not is is very very unlikely to just one day just uh, plug you into your muse and out of you will flow an entire novel. Most of the time, what flows out of you will be not very good, but it will contain interesting, risky stuff. And that risky stuff can be harvested. What, you, what you're doing is you are 
giving yourself the opportunity to produce stuff and then later on you can be that slightly more cautious you know me and Jeanette talked about this actually sin and repent model or she said uh I think did she say uh uh write it and f- and, f- and write it and fuck it or something like that I can't remember what she said but it was uh, basically you just like you knock it all out and then oh, oh fuck it and burn it that was it fuck it and burn it so you just think fuck it you write and which is easier said than done i know for some of you right i'm not on people go oh just write just write people say this to me all the time and it is still not you know it's still hard for me this thing of like oh just do your first draft and just get it out it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be done you can't edit something that doesn't exist you can't edit a blank page i know but on the other hand i read books and i think that needed a fucking edit this was clearly written by somebody who was not overly preoccupied with how their book was going to be received or making their sentences, you know, even sort of basically comprehensible. You know, I, I those things, it's OK to care about them. It's OK to be worried. I do not expect you to suddenly just start pouring stuff out. Sometimes writing takes time. Sometimes you do have to write slowly to kind of get the type of tone that you're looking for. You can't just rush out stories all the time it's not as easy as that and i completely understand if you can't do that you don't have to but what i'm saying is it's a valid strategy for you to sometimes take it's a valid strategy for you to sometimes take it's not the be all and end all you know like in the same way that when i've you know done couch to 80k writing boot camp i talk about you know doing free writes but you cannot free write your way to an entire novel in the same way that you can't do stretches and then chain a bunch of stretches together into being ready to run a marathon. There's different things you need to do. They're just one way into it. But you need to have open that avenue for outrageously getting things wrong. I mean, th- and this is where the Dungeons and Dragons thing comes back in because I run two games now. So I'm the dungeon master. So I'm the one who is giving the players the story and leading them through an adventure. So they'll say things like, we want to, okay, we're going to the next room. And I say, you see in front of you, uh, the walls are covered in arcane runes and they glow strangely with a greenish light on the eastern wall. Uh, Set into an alcove, you can see a suit of rusted armour, out of which several vermiform tendrils writhe softly, or something, or whatever. So, you know, I give them them the place that they're at, and we're, you know, I've got a guest coming up to talk about uh, role-playing games and how writers can learn a little bit about them and how you'd go about writing one uh, which I'm really excited about but the point being I've got a game coming up um, this week where the players I don't know whether we left uh, the game last time the players entering entering a room uh, under which one of doors one there were, in which there was a door with uh, uh, bloody smears uh, disappearing under the door I have no idea what's going to happen next. I don't know what the players are going to do. I don't know what strategy they're going to take. I don't know what assumptions they're going to make. I don't know how they're going to move through the next part of this adventure. But that is something as a writer that I've been, you know, if you don't know what's going to happen next, oh my God, uh, I don't know how the story's going to end. Shit, shit, shit. And maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe it won't work. Maybe I'm doing all this weeks and months of work and I get to the end and it's not going to work. I don't feel that about the games I play. It's it's exciting for me to know that I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. That's amazing. The possibility and the joy of the unknown is really exciting. And I think doing this, doing these games, has made me more embracing of that in my work. Where I'm like, you can retake that sovereignty and think to yourself, well, actually, fuck you. I'm gonna. I'm the author. 
And it doesn't matter if you go, well, that, that this isn't how the trope goes. Oh, well, that's not what the story arc demanded. Well, you made a promise in chapter two that you would do this. And look, there's a bunch of stuff that you can do with edits later and you can shape stuff and you can get rid of extraneous stuff in the beginning that sets stuff up that doesn't really go anywhere. All of that you can do as a bit of shaping later. But I tell you what, some of the best selling books in the world have got like fucking kooky plot shapes from a if if you want to sort of like try and analyze them from a classical plot arc point of view and it doesn't didn't matter to the readers who love them now that doesn't mean that you can't write stuff which has got amazing plotting with incredible economy of style where nothing is wasted there's nothing wrong with that but i think when you're discovering your story it's your story and you are allowed to write what you want as long as and you know if as long as you do it with enough confidence you will probably get away with it i really enjoyed having nate crowley on the show and actually that links in quite well with one of the lessons that i most remember from him which was that him talking about taking an idea and just sort of chasing it he talked about the things he's done on twitter where he for every like his post got, he came up with a video game that has never existed and just described it. And they were fantastic. And he came up with over a thousand, right? And eventually they, he's put out a book, a uh, hundred video games that never existed. And it's terrific and very funny. But that came from his being prepared to chase down an idea. And, you know, I dare say some of those thousand tweets were less funny than others, right? But it's follow being having the willingness. You know, I find that amazing and inspiring because he did that publicly as well. And and be having that openness to creativity and going, I wonder where this rabbit hole goes. If I follow this yarn, I wonder where it's going to take me. Probably Maybe out of the labyrinth, maybe to a giant yarn ball monster, whatever. But the point is, by far you can you, but you can't make those discoveries unless you follow the idea to begin with, and that's what he talked about. And that's something that I that really resonated with me was this idea of like you have to you have to sit down and do this. And I talked about how many of my sort of successful poems that I do on stage came from me just having a stupid idea and following it. The Couch to 80k writing boot camp. I started on a whim, essentially. It wasn't something that had been brewing for a long time. I just thought, well, I could do this. It would be quite nice to do. Yeah, I guess a podcast would be a reasonable format. Okay, I'll record, start recording it. I didn't know, didn't I didn't, and I didn't have the whole eight weeks planned out when I started. And I just had faith that it would work. Uh, Hayley Webster, another person I talked to recently who talks about writing being this place where this safe place and she's always had faith in it when she writes that the words will come, that the story will come that, as they say in Zen when the student is ready, the master appears that things will reveal themselves in time and she r reads a wide a range of genres and also has multiple projects on the go simultaneously so if one stalls she can just switch to another and continue with that and and accepts that that is part of the process emma healy who i had on recently talking about how before she wrote a whistle in the dark which is her second novel a follow-up to the smash hit elizabeth is missing she wrote two thirty thousand manuscripts that, that, that just didn't didn't they didn't flower for her but she still wrote them and, and you know she wasn't even sure that she necessarily learned that much from doing them you know she'd like to think so but was very honest about like well maybe maybe not but it's part of the process it is part of the process to explore these things you, you can't really you can't really sort of lie in wait for the perfect story to sort of wander into your lap you can have patience, and I think patience is a really important part of a sound writing craft, but 
you have to sort of suck it and see you have to try these things out and that is part of the process that is part of the first that's part of the first draft is is about seeing whether you know the story survives and i think that's really important uh, nikesh shuckler talked about writing an entire uh, very pleasant competent rom-com giving it to his agent she looked it over suggested some changes and he thought oh, actually i don't now i look at this i don't i'm not that bothered and he went back to a story that he's been writing for you know knocking about for him for over over 20 years and in the time that he'd been working on it different ways of doing it had kind of dropped into his lap new characters had appeared new ways of coming at the story and that's how he managed to finish the one who wrote destiny so all of these people we've spoken to so far one of the, some of the kind of key things that I've sort of drawn from what they've said is you're going to reach dead ends with your writing. You're going to follow a manuscript a certain amount of time and it's going to not not have worked as you would have liked it to. And it's that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're a complete failure. Now, there is a second there is a second issue which is to do with if you're if you're doing your writing as a career and you're relying on it for an income how do you manage the time that you've lost and you know it is a it is a very different thing if you know like emma and joe you had books that have done pretty well uh, then you do have a little bit more time where you can kind of sit back and uh and have time to find your way and make those errors i i realize that that is not true of everyone i mean vc lancaster talked about how she's you know putting books out on a fairly on a self-imposed schedule but on a schedule that is making sure that she's meeting the demand of her readers who want to read new stuff and so you don't always have but then she was also very accepting that not everything she put out was going to be absolutely 100% perfect it was going to be as good as she could make it at that time and that you learn by writing here's the thing you are gonna learn best by writing and making mistakes so if you're a perfectionist then fundamentally you're saying I do not want to be the best I can be paradoxically you're saying I do not want to be the best I can be because if you're not prepared to train and make mistakes you cannot be the best you can be so perfectionism is basically saying i voluntarily want to cap my ability as a writer and what i'd like to do with you and whether i do that through the couch to 80k writing boot camp or whether i do it here right now by clenching my hat my hands together and pleading with you is 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 i want to light that fire under your ass i want to make you like the uh like the kind of plucky protagonist in a in a sports manga who is absolutely dead set on being number one, not just in the school but in uh, subsequent uh, uh, in in subsequent seasons of the um, manga in the regionals and then in the nationals and then maybe in the internationals of that particular sport. I want you to go. You know what? I do want to be a better writer. I do want to be the best writer I can be and the only way I'm going to do that is by fucking up and by embracing that fuck up and understanding that every time I write a shit sentence and later spot it every time I write a scene where I take the protagonist I give the protagonist the reins and they run to the edge of the cliff jump off grab hold of the airship and knock a gasket off it and it goes crashing into the sea and three chapters later I realise Actually, if they do that, this whole story is derailed. If you do that, then you're going to learn something. You're going to get better. And uh, excuse me, but who wanna, wouldn't want to read a story with a protagonist who is prepared to do that, to jump off a cliff and you weren't expecting it as, a, as, as an author? And they do this crazy thing and the antagonist, you know, and the villain says, what the hell are you doing? And they go, I don't know. And they change the fate and the expected shape of the entire story. That's exciting. That's good. And you're allowed to write that. You're allowed to write that. You are 
like all these other writers who've come before you, who've set the standard for what a story shape has to be, for what a novel ought to be, they are dead and you are alive and they cannot, to my, to the best of my understanding, come back from the grave and uh, stop you from writing your story however the fuck you want. So do it and make those quote-unquote mistakes because they're not mistakes at all they are you are finding the edges of your world you're finding what works and in these dead timelines of stories you are going to create so much lore or ideas or a cool bit of dialogue or a nice turn of phrase that you can save that file keep them in a folder and plunder it later because it's going to be brilliant it's you you are creating this this kind of meat locker of dead bodies that you can go into late at night with your bone saw and just saw off an arm and graft it onto the horrendous flesh golem that you are creating. You you are going to get all these usable organs that you can just put into cold storage and and take out next time your your story needs a spleen it's gonna be there and the more you write the larger and more grotesque and the more of a moral outrage your meat locker o offcuts is gonna become and so it's great to waste a day writing a scene that never makes it to your story you know I wrote so much stuff for my next novel uh the ice house uh, which is the sequel to the honors uh, but it works as a standalone as well uh but it 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 features Delphine who was in the first one but I I wrote over a oh, Jesus Christ I mean like the I write over a quarter of a million words for that, and and even when I cut, so I, I you know, sat and there were some repeat, there were some diff alternate versions of scenes or scenes I cut out, but then it ran to like hundred ninety thousand words, uh, which is a lot. Like the honors is a hundred and twenty five thousand, I think, which makes it. I'll just I've got a copy here on the shelf because people always go, well, what's Okay, that's the word count. What does that mean in pages? The honours is is four hundred and ten pages, and that's a hundred and twenty-five thousand. So, as you can imagine, a hundred and ninety thousand is more. Is is going to be about is is going to be about seven hundred pages, probably a prox. And quarter of a million is is over a thousand pages. Or over a thousand pages, guys. Which is why it took me longer. And I'm beating myself up, but I've worked my ass off on that book, right? And the finished thing is going to be fucking mint. It is the best thing I've ever written. And I don't mind saying that. You don't have to take my word on it because I'll find other people who will say that for me. It's going to be wicked and you'll love the story and you'll love the characters. But the stuff that I've cut out, one, all that lore informed what stayed in. So there's this very real world but I just don't show you all of it because just because I've done my research, just because I've built up these things, just because I've made myself a, a wiki with loads of notes on the world and seven different religions and 24 different shops that exist in this place and a whole pantheon of uh, different animals and uh, an ecology. You don't have to read my notes. You need a story and you want to follow the characters and you want to see stuff only as it pertains to them. But I've got a bunch of stuff that makes the story richer and more real but also there's stuff that didn't make it into this one that will probably appear in some form in the third because you know they're great scenes or they're great moments and and they just you know with a a few changes they're gonna they're gonna work fine for that or they've gone into different projects that don't even exist in that world characters that weren't quite right for this book but want to live and you know i'm gonna do a transplant and whack i'm gonna take that healthy organ i'm gonna remove it and i'm gonna put it into the new into the new patient because it because it because they're great now i'm sorry i'm not just going to be here raving about my own work and how brilliant it is but my point is that is you're allowed to do that you're allowed to love your work you don't it's not good to be online going, I'm fucking great. Of course, people will find that tedious after a while. But it's OK to love your writing and love what you do. It's not shameful 
it doesn't make you an egotist as as long as you also feel that way about other people's writing as well of course if you only feel that way about your own writing and everyone else's isn't up to scratch i suggest that you uh have a very serious reflect on on whether you might um on whether you you might have uh, some issues with your analysis but it's fine to love what you do it's fine to love what you do in fact i think it is more it's you're more likely to write well and to enjoy the process and this brings me on to what i read online yesterday which kind of got me thinking it didn't make me angry Uh, i think it would have been a ridiculous response to get angry about it uh it but it made me think and it sort of and it did bring up some feelings for me so uh this at the time of uh, recording this has been retweeted nearly a, a thousand times uh but uh, brielle porter who is um bru- uh, at briellums on twitter um said posted a tweet saying there is no game over in writing if you get rejected you still have more chances if you shell the book still more chances if you rack up over a thousand rejections block caps you still have more chances end block caps there is only one way to fail at this and it's by giving up now on the face of it it seems probably seems rather churlish to object to that because it is a message of positivity and hey guys keep going i don't object to that but i still think that there is a toxic culture and i I hate resorting to that uh mot de jour toxic uh because it's rather clapped out and overused but but i think this tendency to define success in writing as achieving trad publication and failure as, as as the absence of being picked up by a trad publisher I think that I think that whole set of assumptions is questionable at best. I think we push this idea that getting published is the big is the big orgasm we're all working towards and you achieve that and then you can just like roll over and go to sleep. And I and it it doesn't work like that. You want to enjoy you presumably you want to enjoy the pr- the process leading up to it, right? Because you're going to be doing that a lot more than the actual spunk blast of getting an email back saying yeah we'll we'll, we'll buy this for this amount of money sign here like most of this is why people have this is why authors have really weird relationships with their publication day because books generally in the uk at least get published on a thursday comes out and nothing's changed now you've got to get on with the next one and you just go, oh, I guess I wasted my whole life for that moment. And uh, here it is. Thursday, and I went to Waterstones and very furtively took a photograph of my book on the shelf at knee height. And now I've got to go home and maybe I'll buy myself a packet of Rolos as a treat. And it's, look, it's not that, it's it's wonderful having people read your work. But it's going to be such going to be such a small p- proportion of your career, and a lot of it's going to be sat in a room working on those books. And I just look—if you look at the average annual wage for authors in the UK, and you look at the press coverage and support and advances for most mid-list titles, or maybe like if you speak to authors who've actually burnt out—I mean, I because I I'm on the inside, right? I get to. I know some and I get to speak to authors who've released one or two books who have then run into trouble, either struggled writing a book, had a period of poor mental health, uh, had financial problems, had problems with their publishers, you know, editor who used to like their work leaves, new one comes in, doesn't like it, doesn't get what they're doing, they get rejected. It, it's not that It's not that easy and you're not home and dry when you get published, right? I think there are a lot of flavours of success as it's defined by some people in writing that that taste an awful lot like failure. If you get a bestseller out 
and you sell hundreds of thousands of copies but you can't enjoy your writing anymore because you're so you feel such pressure and you feel like such a fraud you might go well that's a very nice problem to have what a luxury problem yeah i mean that you can you can say that all you like you can dismiss other people's problems just because they're not your problems at the moment right of course it's nice to have a lot of money i'm sure it is i wouldn't know but i don't know i was like i had a gig on wednesday uh, in norwich uh, i do as some of you know i do uh, performance poetry with my friend mark grist and while we were setting up our show and it was a really fun show thanks to everyone who came really really enjoyed it as we were setting up i i i as a kind of i was just interested i asked him as a, as a kind of dark bargain i said if you i picked one of his poems that's particularly popular with the audience and i said if you could have your poem come to pre peterborough if right you become a work the a internationally famous poet people are like you filling auditoriums people want to come and see you you are critically acclaimed you are financially hugely successful however the only poem that people will accept from you is your poem come to peterborough every other poem immediately the audience will turn the moment you try any other material uh but the moment you but you can do that poem over and over and they just go wild and they see new nuance in it but it's the only thing they'll accept from you but within that area you are you are loaded and critically acclaimed and that will be forever would you take that and anderson thought you know he said no and it i and i was like yeah i wouldn't either you know i wouldn't want any of my if i could only do one poem and i would if i could have all the success in the world but i couldn't do what i like anymore I couldn't chase up and write these stupid stories that I do that mean the, everything to me. I wouldn't I wouldn't take this success because it wouldn't because and this is the terrifying conclusion there is something about writing and the joy of creation and the freedom of it that is more valuable to me than any amount of money in the world. Now, isn't that a funny thing? And that's what I would say to you, you know, I can't believe I just said that. It sounds so fake, but it's true. You know, are you happy? Are you well? And do you contribute to the increase of those things in other people? For me, that's the best measure of success as a writer does it does it contribute to your happiness does it contribute to your well-being and does it contribute to other people's happiness and well-being if you do that now of course the caveat is i'm really I'm, as always i'm really struggling for money so you might go well you know tim that i will i can see why you've ended up where you are yeah maybe maybe I wouldn't come to me or this podcast for financial advice but if you want to be able to write and you don't want to feel constantly like your heart has a heavy weight down on it then those are the things I think to focus on I'm going to put up a really small uh, questionnaire for the show uh, just for listeners uh, to talk about stuff that you'd like me to do in future stuff you'd like to hear more of stuff maybe you'd like to hear less of stuff you think works uh, any comments you've got about the show any stuff you want me to focus on any guests you particularly want me to um, get in contact with to try and encourage them to come on the show and chat to me I'd love to hear from you you know I it's been such a transformative experience hearing from all of you doing the couch 20k writing bootcamp I'm still hearing every week from people who I've just finished the eight-week course and just letting me know how they got on. And that is frigging great. Please, anything you want to chat about to do with writing, any stuff we've brought up in episodes, any guests we've had on that you've loved, any stuff you'd like me to do in future, um, do drop me a line on my website. That's timclairpert.co.uk. I've changed hosts now to a more expensive but 
hopefully more reliable one. Thanks very much for all your support of the show because that's how I've been able to afford to do that. Also, um, but I'll put up this questionnaire. It'll only be sort of like five or six questions. I'll put a link to it in the show notes and then I'll promote it on Facebook and on my um, Twitter page as well. But it would really help me if you went and just answered a couple of questions. I'm not going to be like harvesting emails or anything. I, I literally just want your opinions to know what stuff works for you, what stuff's helpful. Because, I, you know, I, I must admit I've been kind of like considering, oh, what do I do next? What do I do that can have the impact uh, of the Couch to 80K writing bootcamp? What can I do that helps people? Um, and, and, and to be honest, like most of the ideas have been, well, I could just do an, another one or I could do like weekly writing exercises or whatever and I'm not sure any of that is quite right uh, and I'm not expecting you to come up with ideas for me but it'd be really useful to get some like general areas that you're interested in and, 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 and things that you think would be helpful and then I can have a think about it as well and I'll just you know go for something that inspires me that I think I can do well but I'd really love to get your thoughts uh, so if you I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so if you if yeah if you wouldn't mind just clicking on it and uh, answering a couple of questions it'd be really helpful for me to get some data the more people can fill that in the more accurate I can get an idea of um, who's listening to the podcast and what you'll want because at the moment I'm more or less guessing and I'm happy to continue doing that and I'm always going to have a certain amount of sovereignty over the content because you know I am chasing up guests at the moment purely from selfishness purely from these are people I would like an excuse to be in a room with and ask about writing. It's been so good for me to talk about, talk to my peers and talk to other writers, often far more experienced, far more popular than me, um, and get to hear how they write because I'm learning a great deal. As you've heard me fart on and on at the beginning of every show, oh, I learned so much this, but I have. And I can't really get around with the fact I can I'll find some synonyms for I've learned so much in this chat, but it's it's been really useful for me. And it makes me feel part of a community, which, as Nikesh was saying in his episode, community is a really important thing for writers. And we just get to hear a diversity of opinions as well, because not all of the writers have the same way of working. And it's important for me for you to know that there are a, a whole uh, morass of a mutually acceptable and legitimate ways of working because otherwise if you just hear me then you will be I try not to try and mold you all into sort of little Tim Clare clones but at the same time different writers are going to bring stuff to the table that I just can't as a single human being going through the world as Tim Clare so the more people I can get on here the more writers I can get to talk honestly about their craft and it's really they've been so honest as well I didn't if you haven't listened to the uh, uh, early episode I did with Gordon Smith Alexander Gordon Smith talking about writing and um, you know how he came up with ideas for you know horror narratives and, and just him talking about how enthusiastic he is for about writing and and the thing that parts of it that are difficult and how he comes to know characters i really feel that is an excellent episode that a few of you have slept on and it's worth going back to listen to because he's um so enthusiastic and articulate about the writing process and i definitely felt very inspired and kind of buzzing off the back of that so if you need a, a little bit of um a little bit of lead in your pencil i mean that means does that i'm not does that mean just to feel pepped up or does that mean sexually aroused? I'm never quite sure. You may feel sexually aroused. That's fine and a legitimate response as well. More likely, you will just feel enthusiastic about the prospect of getting back to your own writing. Speaking of which, let's stop fucking jawing and let's me and you both do some writing. I'm about to press stop on, on this old recorder and get back to writing my current work, which at the moment... I'm working on a first-person narrative uh, called The Current Iteration. I think I've told you I was working on something that involved a, a necromancer. Switching back and forth, I've got basically two story ideas, both of which involve a Dark Lord necromancer and then a viewpoint character kind of looking on and having their own life as well. And, and, and I feel like both, I can't write both. Or certainly both can't come out at the same time. I'm pretty sure that would be impossible to publish. So I'm working on, I'm working on this one where it's called the current working title is "The World Is Very Evil," and it's about. Shall I just read you a tiny bit? Why not? Oh fuck it, Tim. This is this is what happens when it's not planned. I could. I'll I'll read you. 
yeah, I'll read, I'll read you a tiny bit of the first page. This is like just first draft, but um, you can hear what I'm working on and then I'll get on with it. And I hope what you're doing is, is going well as well. But at the moment, the working title is The World is Very Evil. And it's my first ever attempt at a, a first person narrative. So actually an actual eye narrator. The Commodore's men are digging up pirates. They've been working in shifts since dawn. By the time I reach them, the sun has crested the volcano and they have stripped off their blue cloaks, jackets and underjackets and dig in their white cross belts and breeches. Their bodies are lean from the voyage, tanned and taut like wet ropes. Each smokes a clay pipe as he works, the aroma of tobacco carrying on the breeze, mixing with loam, sweat, rotten linen. The only sounds are the gasps of waves against the cliffs, the wet scrape of shovels. They have exhumed a dozen graves, all told, but the going is hard and their pace decreasing. Filthy, ragged corpses lie on sackcloth along a narrow spit of land that points westward, towards the coming storm. I turn away. Their work is born not of necessity, but ignorance and malice, a final indignity. Let them labour. I am full of desire for motion. I begin ascending the volcano. A strange, restless anticipation is building in my chest. I cannot account for it. The way grows steeper and I tear my coat on a thorn bush, no matter. As I climb, the air thins and cools. Tiny flowers grow here and there amongst the dark scree, shocks of brilliant yellow. I briefly contemplate picking one to take back for X, who found such replenishment in the gardens at Maison Delos but to disturb them after decades unmolested seems a mean act, so I leave them to their repose. After all, this place is ours now. I grow short of breath. An unpleasant film of perspiration coats my brow. I remove my cap and hold it by its tassel as I scramble over low shelves of rock. For all my physical discomfort, I am aware of a stillness closing in around me. For the first time in months, I cannot hear the sea. Green and pink lichens crackle beneath my ankle boots. My legs shudder as if I have a fever. I regret not accepting the purser's offer of a walking pole, but I was still upset over the incident at dinner two nights ago, and I could see Commodore Wallenden standing there with her charts and her sabre, giving orders and surveying her new territory like Frustrike making land at Heaven's Gate, and I felt to accept should seem like tacit approval of this whole outrage and a betrayal of X. Thus, in some small way, the pain in my knees is a rebellion against the Commodore's petty tyranny. An act of love. So yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Who knows where it's going to go, but I'm enjoying writing in a new voice. Thanks for in indulging me there. Uh, just you know, to keep you posted, that's what I'm up to at the moment. If you enjoy the podcast, then listen. Let other people know, because word of mouth is the only way that other people can find this podcast. And it's so helpful when uh, you folks share it. And, uh, you know, I'm not a credible advocate for my own work. You are more convincing advocates of my work. So every time you share it, it's really, really, really helpful. And new people find it. New people find the Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp. And if you found this useful as a writer, chances are there are other writers out there who will benefit from the same help, the same sense of community. And by the way, it's so lovely on Twitter when I see uh, several listeners of the show all being super nice to each other. Maybe like sort of cheering each other on, going through the Couch to 80k writing boot camp, giving each other support, uh, talking about books that they love. Be, continue being lovely to each other, folks, because you are you're awesome. I, I feel very, very, very grateful to have such such nice, intelligent, creative listeners. It's it's it, it just gosh, it makes me feel so happy. Um, if you like the show, though, uh, the other things you can do are, of course, you can buy my book, uh, The Honours, which is available online and available in most bookshops, and you can order it in. It's, I think it's pretty good. I think you'll enjoy it. 
if you like that sort of thing. I'm not going to do a big spiel for it now, but it, I'm a writer and I make my living from writing. So the way I can pay my bills is if people buy my books, because that's how I'll sell further books uh, and get publishing contracts is if my books sell. So every, t- every time one of you has bought one of my books, and I know, you know, I've seen some of the photos of you who've got the, got, got a copy of The Honours because it does look dead sexy. Um you're contributing to me being able to do my dream and I really appreciate it and I hope you enjoy the story. Another thing you can do that some of you have done if you want to help me with my uh, sort of overheads for hosting my website and the podcast, there's a little link to on my page. to It says buy me a coffee. If you click that, you can go onto my little coffee page. It's a bit like Patreon except... I don't have it set up for monthly payments or anything like that. It basically, if you want to drop me a few squid uh, as a way of supporting the show, I'd really appreciate it. If at some stage, uh, you know, I, I, I'm able to get a sponsor for the show, I will do that, by the way. I'm not just kind of uh, re- relying entirely on your charity, although it's hugely appreciated. But we're still a relatively small podcast. And I've had some offers, as I've sort of said in previous shows, from people but they just didn't feel right not because I've got especially high standards but just because I don't really want to go with one anyone's that feel too scammy or just might not be very relevant to you because I don't want to sit here doing ad reads for stuff that I know you're not going to like because they won't stick around for very long either because they'll realize they're not going to sell whatever it is they're selling so at the moment, the only way that this podcast uh, manages to stay afloat is through the generous donations of listeners. So thank you very, very, very much from all of those. My gratitude is, is not a mere put on. It is heartfelt and sincere. And I am wowed. And uh, I think it'd be unfair to say I'm humbled. I'm probably still a rather big headed git, but uh, I'm certainly really really grateful and pleased and uh, just really chuffed that you care and that so many of you have chosen to to give a little something so I can keep this going and hopefully expand it and continue bringing you content that helps you write and helps you write more because you're awesome and the final thing is on my website timclapart.co.uk and in the show notes to my shows there'll be like links to the website Wordery which is where you can order books online and you don't have to pay postage and there's like an, a wordery advert on my website as well. If you if you can't get to a your local bookshop, and especially your local independent bookshop, and you don't want to order your books through Amazon, if you click my wordery link or click any of the links under the shows, um, which are mainly to kind of like books that, uh, that I've mentioned in the episode or to books by authors that I've had on that week, um, if you click that there and buy books through that, then I get a little kickback through the affiliate link. Some of you have been doing that. And that's just an extra way, if you happen to be buying stuff, that you can help support the podcast. I get a little little summit something for you using my link. That's it. That's all the spiel. I have got quite a few guests coming up, and I am dead excited about chatting to them. And hopefully, when I do, it's going to be super useful to you. But let me know. The other day on Twitter, I asked for some of your requests for guests, and you've you have... You've given me a bunch of cool requests for peep authors you'd like me to speak to. So uh, emails have duly been sent. Uh, weird sort of Twitter flirtation has begun as I try to woo people into coming onto the show and talking about writing. Because the guests I've had on so far have just been wondrous to me and I love them deeply and platonically okay so take care I'm starting to can shade into awkward creepiness so I'm going to bid you adieu I hope you have a wondrous week of writing Uh, may all your mistakes be glorious and embarrassing may you treasure them may you place them in a folder called Brilliant Mistakes and harvest them for their marrow. Ta-ra.